Now, I was looking at this and even looking you know, throughout history, how Christians have excelled in giving and helping in the work of the ministry. Christians support the poor and the widow. We see orphanages built all across, all across the world by Christian organizations. We see hospitals built in the name of Jesus. I mean, even you know, our own Samaritan's Purse, sending shoeboxes out in the name of Jesus and gifting kids with toys. So, Christians... They tithe to churches and Christian organizations and churches support missionaries and the ministers of the gospel. And mature Christians worship the Lord through singing. And I, I was so blessed. You know, anytime I have the opportunity uh, to sit in and worship, which I want to do more regularly than to be running around doing things, but uh, I, I, I'm so blessed that, to hear you guys singing to the Lord. It's a blessing for me when we're doing the responsive reading and I hear you guys proclaiming the word of the Lord. That's an awesome thing to, to see. Mature Christians, they sing to the Lord. They participate in times of prayer and they give unto the Lord in thankfulness for what He has done for them. Yet, no one is going to be forced to sing. You're not going to be forced to pray and you're not going to be forced to give. There's nobody coming around saying, hey, you know, we got the decibel reader here and you're not singing loud enough, so you need to start singing louder. You know, nobody comes around with those little buckets and taps you on the arm until you put something in the basket, you know, so to speak. You know, you're never forced to do anything. It's meant to be volitionally, uh, freely offered unto the Lord. And so, the three things, you know, of singing and giving and serving and praying, or four things rather, they're marks of mature Christianity. And you know, for the Corinthians, it wasn't between them and the end recipient of their tithe. So though it was going to be going to the saints in Jerusalem, it wasn't between the Corinthians and those in Judea. It was between them and the Lord. And they gave unto the Lord. And they did this unto the Lord to help those that were in need. And they did it unto the Lord knowing that Rome didn't offer tax-deductible donation letters. You know, they didn't offer exemptions for those that were a part of the 501c3, you know, code. They, they gave these things unto the Lord willingly. And so that leads us to point number one this morning as we're in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Point number one is joy and generosity. Now, when I was discussing this with some of our leaders in our church, we didn't plan on going or actually having this covered today, especially being the last Sunday before Christmas Eve. I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, we had, and I heard it announced on Coast, you know, as everyone's listening to Christmas music and that, and that there was like Giving Tuesday or Giving Thursday, I forget which one it was, where, you know, you would give to your nonprofit or give to your organization or whatever it is to support them at the end of the year. You know, as a church, we, we don't do that kind of thing. But I heard that that was, that was going on. And for us to be able to be here this morning, we know that we teach through the whole counsel of God and we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And this is what we landed on today. So joy and generosity, beginning in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this yourself personally, but God moves in mysterious ways, and even particularly for this morning, 
God's grace moves in mysterious ways. I think that the way that the Lord does things is just so mind-boggling at times that we sit back and we say, man, this was totally the Lord because He knows I would have never have come up with that or I never would have planned that this scenario would be worked out in my life. This is a very, very interesting concept when you think about the enormity of the wisdom of God. It's, has, it has no bounds and it's particular to you and to me. And here we see in 2 Corinthians 8 that the grace of God upon the church of Macedonia flourished during their time of a great trial, their time of affliction. Now, some people think that their church is the only church in the world. They think that you know, this, it's all about our church and we have the best church. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with loving your church. And there are a lot of churches out there, though, that are filled with amazing Christians, too. Now, they may not be as amazing as you guys are, but they're pretty cool, too. Okay, so there's a lot of things outside of this place. The churches referred to as the churches of Macedonia here are Philippi, Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, however you want to put the emphasis on the syllable, Berea. Uh, Though these churches were experiencing great affliction, Paul would use them as an example to other Christians, particularly the Corinthian Christians in regards to giving. Now, I want you to notice the contrast here in verse 2. In a great trial of affliction, they had an abundance of joy. And though in deep poverty, they abounded in the riches of giving liberally. Now, for you history buffs, you might be able to say, oh, that's familiar. Because when Rome conquered Greece, they pretty much, according to secular history, removed all the wealth from Macedonia because it was Alexander the Great's hometown. So this was a very poor region, a poor area. But the joy of the Lord was their strength. Have you noticed, because I noticed in my life, that the first thing to go when we give into the flesh during a stressful time or trial is the joy of the Lord. We release our hold upon the joy of the Lord in order to get angry or to lash out at someone. Because I can't hold the joy of the Lord and the anger of man simultaneously. I cannot do that even as I cannot be walking in the Spirit and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh at the same time. I think especially at Christmas time we can find ourselves a little strapped for cash and very much stressed out. Maybe emotionally we have a hard time around the holidays. It's hard for us. Maybe even on a personal note, you're going currently through a trial and it seems to be magnified around this time of year. Maybe you've absolutely become sick of hearing all the Christmas songs that are playing everywhere you go. Maybe for you, it's not the happiest time of the year and maybe you feel more like taking those J-I-N-G-L-E bells and breaking them instead of you know rejoicing and singing with them or whatever it may be. See, the Macedonian Christians had joy that was not contingent upon their circumstances. And they were generous even with the little that they had. Now, 
as Ruth and I have been married 10 years now, you start to hear more and more stories about family life. And, oh, yeah, you remember that one time? And, you know, and I remember, you know, hearing stories. And many of you met John Vickery, Ruth's dad, that was here. And you met John and Julie and then some of her brothers and uh, sister-in-laws that were here as well over the last uh, few weeks or so. But I remember hearing stories about uh, John just giving stuff away constantly. Like their family didn't have a computer and they were given a laptop and then there was a, there was a student that was in need and he just give them their laptop. And, and they're like, what? Well, that's the only computer we have in the house. Well, they had, you know, he had a need and his hands can't hold a you know, pencil or a pen properly, you know, and so he can type, you know, and just a giving attitude. Somebody that was just generous even with the little things uh, that, that he had. You know, even when it comes to, you know, them visiting, you know, Granddad constantly loading Hudson up with pocket change. You know, here, you got to have some cash in your pocket, you know, all the time. You know, and I'm like, Dad, you got to stop giving him cash all the time. You know, Hudson has more money than I do. He's financing my loans now. I mean, come on. You know, like, what's going on? You know? But just that generous spirit. And, and we know people like that. And we know, like, man, they give you the shirt off their back. And they're the kind of people that are there to help when there's a need. He says in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 8, he says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us, verse 4, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and fellowship of the ministering to the saints. See, the Macedonian Christians didn't allow their circumstances to rob them of their joy or the things that they lacked caused to cause them to lack in having a heart to give. For they gave according to their ability, and it says even beyond in some respects. Now, I think sometimes when it comes to giving, we think of amount and how that relates to what other people may be giving or whatever. It wasn't the dollar amount that made them generous, for it may not have been a large amount. Seeing that it says that they gave according to their ability, and their ability may have been very limited, but a heart that desires to give has no bounds. And there's something very special, very special, about somebody that has a heart to give. The Macedonian Christians gave freely, and even strongly, it says, suggested that Paul would allow them the privilege of contributing to those that were hurting. We don't have a lot to give, but what we have, we want to contribute to help out. We want to be involved. They wanted a piece of that pie, so to speak. They wanted the fellowship of being able to say, you know, we contribute, contributed to that as, as well. And what a special thing it is when we're allowed the opportunity to have a hand in the work of the Lord to contribute or to invest in the kingdom of God. I mean, we realize that with what the biblical standard is with tithing, that we live off of 90% of what we make. Like that that's a huge thing. So the Lord gets $1 out of every 10 if you're using that model. And the Macedonian Christians gave out of their poverty, and this is not to be mistaken for charlatans who tell people, go out, get credit cards, max them out, send money, take out a loan, go into major debt so that you can send money into the church because, quite frankly, they can take a hike. In verse 3, Paul says, these Christians, he says, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So, point number one this morning is joy and generosity. 
which happens to be the two things that take you beyond yourself, beyond your limitations, and allow you to be a participant in the ministry, the work of the Lord, the things that are happening amongst the people of God. And that leads us to point number two, which is this morning, giving comes by getting. Giving comes by getting. So first we looked at joy and generosity. Point number two is giving comes by getting. I like to lead off with 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14. It says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. The person who said that was King David. He said that unto the Lord. He said, Lord, all that we have comes from you, and even from you we give back to you. See, the things that we just read here, David realized that what he was giving, he had gotten from the Lord. So giving comes by getting and recognize that all we have gotten is from the Lord. The Lord has given us forgiveness of sins, and so we forgive others as God has forgiven us. The Lord has given us clear passage to heaven. And so we're able to know with absolute certainty that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that we get to the Father through Him. God has given everything that we have. He has given everything that we have. He is our provider. So even what we give, we have gotten from the Lord. God gave us His love and we in return give Him ours. As it says in 1 John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us us so listen to what now Paul writes in verse 5 and not only as we had hoped but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God they first gave themselves to God and their material things followed suit their relationship with God was the very thing from which everything else flowed and that's the same for you and me today in every area of our lives. No, you know, we can be poor and we can be stingy. Or we can be wealthy and be stingy. We can be poor and generous or we can be wealthy and generous. And the determining factor is whether or not we have given ourselves and our things to the Lord. A wise person will ask for wisdom from the Lord on how he or she can best steward the things he has provided for them. And so in verse 6 it says, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. And just by way of some information here in verse 6, Titus was an associate of Paul's. He was a fellow laborer, a co-laborer in the ministry. And he was the one that was in charge of receiving the offering from the Corinthian church. Titus was to follow up on the Corinthians' completion of doing what they intended to do. It wasn't enough that the Corinthians liked the idea of giving, thought about giving, or planned to give. They needed to follow through on those things. They needed to complete this grace, as it says in verse 6. Paul says they abounded in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in love, and they needed to add that to the list as well, which was giving. What's interesting, and I don't know if you picked up on it already, but this is the fourth time that Paul has used the word grace to describe the act of giving. The grace, the word for grace in the Greek language, you know it, it's charis, you're familiar with it. 
I'd like to share with you a segment from David Guzik's commentary on this passage, and he says, and I quote, The ability to give and the heart to give is a free gift from God. Giving is a work of God's grace in us. When you see a believer who is truly generous, a great work of God has been done in their heart. We should never say, well, they just want to write a check and not get involved. No, giving is getting involved and it demonstrates a true work of God's grace in the heart. End of quote. In verse 8, Paul writes and says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So again, a mark of a healthy Christian, a mature Christian, is giving. You're not being forced to, but rather you want to. Paul says that giving is a test of the sincerity of your love. Firstly, listen to this. It places actions behind your intentions. It shows that you're concerned with honoring the Lord through tithing and that you have a love for God's people. You're supporting the reach of the gospel, the teaching of God's word, and all that comes from a spirit-filled church. Secondly, it shows that which you love the most. Money is a tool. It is. But but it can also wield a lot of power, can't it? Jesus said you can't serve God and money. And so by giving of what you've gotten, you're getting so much more in return. You're not only displaying your love for the world, but you're freeing yourself from being controlled by material things. Now listen, owning things are great. The Lord blessed you, fantastic. There's nobody here you know, saying you need to take a vow of poverty. You know, nobody's saying that at all. It's okay to own things as long as your things don't own you. And that you realize that everything that you have is from God and it causes you to be thankful for the things that you have. It causes you to be empathetic for those that may not have the things that you have. It gives you a heart for others. It gives you an understanding of how blessed you are. And then even Paul gives us the ultimate example with Jesus giving up his place in heaven and humbling himself to the point of his death on the cross. And what Jesus gave up for us made us wealthy in the riches of God's grace. Now, John Calvin said this, and I'm not a Calvinist, but he said this, and I quote, rich men owe God a large tribute and poor men have no reason to be ashamed if what they give is small. End of quote. The Lord blesses us in different ways. One of the things that I've noticed in particular in my own family and having a special needs daughter, and you guys know Ava, and some of you have uh, caught toys that she has thrown or been hit by them, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, some of you, uh, you know, feel some of the things that she throws. You know, it's like your shortstop and you throw them out at first, you know, so I appreciate that. But one of the things being involved in that subculture, it's really a hidden, you know, uh, a group in society, is that you always see that there's somebody worse off than you are. There's always somebody that has a, a greater struggle than you have. And when you see those things, it's, it, it causes you to be thankful to the Lord for what He's blessed you with. And see, when we're so self-focused, and you know it's natural to be so self-focused. I mean, that's the way we are as human beings, to be focused on ourselves. 
And I'm not advocating that you shouldn't take care of your family and watch out for your wife or your kids and, and do your best to provide for them. But by nature, you know, what's natural for us is to be focused on ourselves. But through having our, our eyes open to the things that are in the world, the things that are going on, the people that are in need, those that are hurting, to see the great need for people to receive the gospel and that need a touch from Jesus, it causes us to be thankful for what we have, but then serves as an impetus for us to say, we need to do something about this. The Macedonians gave out of their poverty and the Corinthians would give out of their abundance. Both would participate in contributing to the needs of the saints. Both would be involved in what would be maybe a small way or in a large way. But then you think that's man's opinion on it because that small way, somebody gave out of what they didn't have. They gave everything. Remember the story of the woman, the widow that gave that little, you know, that mite at the, at the time of offering. And Jesus said that woman gave more than all these guys that tooted their horns and put in massive amounts of money because they gave out of their riches and she gave out of her poverty. It was a matter of the heart. And the Macedonians were to be an example to the Corinthians and say, hey, these guys, they have generous spirits and they want to be involved in helping out those that are in need. That's the issue, the issue of the heart. In verse 10, Paul writes and says, and in this I give advice. It's to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. Remember that first letter, chapter 16, he was talking about collecting, you know, that collection for the saints in Jerusalem that were hurting. And now 2 Corinthians 8, we're following up to that. In verse 11, he says, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. Now, we touched on this earlier, but following through on what you know to be pleasing to God, what you know to be right, what you know that you're to be doing, is a very important thing. Because we can say to ourselves, I know this is the right thing to do, I know that I should be doing this, I know this will help somebody else out, but then actually following through with that speaks to your character, speaks to my character. Because I can recognize all the needs in the world that I want to or have to or have been forced to in some, you know, where you can't hide from those things. You can't have a, you know, your head buried in the sand. But if I'm not doing anything about that, then that's between me and the Lord and something that needs to be worked out. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying you guys desired and you were willing. You see that there's a need and now you need to follow through and your follow through is actually something that's good for you because it's going to set a precedent for what you do in the future in different areas of your life. You're going to be setting a precedent in understanding how blessed you are. You're going to understand what a great privilege it is to be able to contribute to what the Lord is doing around the world. You're going to be able to be setting an example now for other churches in your region or other people that know you that this is something that you value and this is something that you are doing as far as storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. So it's not just about giving financially, but really in every area of our Christian life. And there may be things that the Lord puts on our hearts to do. And you know it's of the Lord. Then might I just say, you got to do it. Go for it. The Lord puts that on your heart. You know this is the right thing to do. As the Lord's stirring you up, follow through with those things. May I just say, just do it. Complete the doing of it. 
Make it a priority. Make it a regular practice. And that leads us to our third and final point today, which is this. Willing and ready. Beginning in verse 12. He says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. In our final section this morning, it's important for us to understand willingness to give. Born with a sinful nature, we are not naturally inclined to give anything. I'm not going to give you my toy. I'll take your toy. Uh, the other night, I, I, have a, I have some amazing nieces and nephews. And one of them in particular, his name is Branson. He's my youngest brother's youngest son. And they came over to our house. We were having a, a little uh, early Christmas uh, party. Um, and we were, we were you know, decorating cookies and singing and doing all this stuff. And, and it, was, it was really fun having a lot of kids in the house. And, and anyway, Branson is about you know, maybe six weeks younger than Harrison. So they're really close in age. And they're all kind of you know, doing the same kind of stuff together. But what was very interesting uh, on the subject of not being naturally inclined to give or I'm going to take something, uh, Brenson had a binky in his mouth. And Harrison just crawled up to him and grabbed it out of his mouth and put it in his mouth. And, uh, and then Brenson looks at him, and these guys are just like 10 months old or so. Brenson looks at him, crawls over to him, grabs it out of his mouth and starts trying to pull his hair. You know, and, and, and we're looking at each other like, and then Harrison's looking at him like, why are you trying to pull my hair? I just took your binky, you know, like, and, 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 and you see this at like little baby stages, you know, and you're going, this is hilarious. It's so funny because we're not naturally inclined to give our things. That's just, we don't do that. I don't give you my stuff. I worked hard for my stuff. You know, you know how much effort it took to take that binky out of your mouth? There's no way I'm giving that back to you or whatever it may be. See, here, in verse 12, you won't be asked to give what you do not have. You might give $2 million, and it may not be enough. You might give $25, and that's a huge sacrifice. See, it's a matter of our hearts before the Lord. It should be regular, according to what the Bible tells us, that giving should be regular. It should be planned. It should be proportional. It should be private. It should be freely given and cheerfully given. But do we have a willing mind? Are we at least open to it? Or are we like, no way, I can't believe that this is being discussed today. When everyone is pulling their own weight, the Lord uses that to balance everything out. Because there's ebbs and flows in life. There's ebbs and flows in the church life of Christian believers. In verse 13, he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. This is such an amazing principle to grasp as a follower of Jesus as it pertains to everything outside this little world of ours. Back in my college days, I remember joking around with one of my, my good friends, Mike Chaddock. He pastors a church in Ladera Ranch, actually. Great guy. We were roommates in college. But, you know, when one of us would start to do something that was off the wall or whatever, we would jokingly say, you know, this, I don't know what laws of physics operate this little world of yours. But here, you know, cows don't fly or that doesn't fly or whatever. You know, and this little world of yours that, you know, is just revolving around you and everything that you want to do. 
I remember, and we used to laugh about that because it was one of those things that was so, so true. Because giving, when we think about it, it takes us outside of our own little world. It really does. It opens our eyes to the big picture of what's happening. And when we start to understand what's happening outside of our world, that there are people in need and ministry that needs to be accomplished, we start to see how we slot into the big picture of God's plans. And see, when a church has members that all contribute, there is a healthy balance in not only their local church, but in the church abroad. There's a balancing out, so to speak, with those that have much and those that have little. Here in verse 15, Paul is actually referencing Exodus chapter 16. It's the story of how the Lord provided for the people of Israel when they were wandering in the desert and they had no food. They had nothing to eat. But God provided for them each day something that was on the ground. You guys remember what that was called? Manna. Meant, what is it? The Lord provided for them and they're like, what is this stuff on the ground? And the Lord instructed them that it was actually something that they could eat. But each day, they would go out and, on the mor- and in the morning, they would see it all over the ground. They would gather it up. But the Lord gave them one condition. You remember the condition, right? He told them that they could only gather enough for one day. Otherwise, it would become rotten with worms. It would just, it would go, it would go foul. You guys remember that? So what happened is that there were some people that gathered much manna. And others weren't able to gather as much as they needed. But those that had much had enough for one day that they couldn't keep it tomorrow. They had enough for one day. They gathered much. They had enough. They couldn't keep it past this day. They had more than what they needed. So those that gathered little were able to use the excess of those that gathered much and were able to, as it says again in verse 15, 2 Corinthians 8, he who gathered much had nothing left over and then he who gathered little had no lack. Still today. Still today. And pardon the metaphor, but some gather a lot of bread and others not too much. But through the willingness to give and to help, the readiness to follow through in giving, everyone receives what they need from the Lord. The Corinthians had willing minds, had willing minds to help contribute because they understood the principle of giving. And Paul is encouraging them in that. He's encouraging them in that. Like I mentioned already, there are ebbs and flows. There's times where we have more than enough and there's times where we lack. The Lord is our provider and He is the one that supplies our needs. Yet when the church is working together the way that it should be, we see those needs met. And it says in verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For He not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, He went to you of His own accord. Verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered to us, or excuse me, by us, to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Verse 18 is amazing considering what Paul is addressing in our study today. Who is the brother 
whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. We don't know. Who is the man that was chosen by the churches to administer this monetary gift? We do not know, but God does. Someone here was left out by name. They didn't know who this was. The man that was going to be distributing what God had provided. And I think that this is a very cool principle for us too. We don't need our names anywhere. We don't need them enshrined somewhere. I don't think that we need to give special preference to those that give money and to those that and, and those that give money and don't show that same preference to those that do not. I know it's gonna sound weird, but there are some people today and even in churches where they have whole teams that are dedicated to developing donors for the church. And if you give X amount of money, you know, you get a plaque or you get your name somewhere or it's put for everybody to see. And you get maybe cards on your birthday because you hit an extra amount of money and those that didn't, they don't get anything. And I think that's showing partiality to man. I think that's showing favoritism to people and I think that ought not to be. People give out of a willing heart and they give unto the Lord and those that are giving do so not to be recognized by man but know that what they give goes to those that the Lord has in mind or whatever He's going to do but they give unto the Lord and it's between them and God. They're not out there tooting a horn for themselves. They're not out there looking for the recognition and even the man here that wasn't named was distributing to the needs or to those saints that were in need and that which was distributed came from God. Well, you say, well, people contributed to it. Yeah, people did. But God provided the people with the things that they could contribute. And ultimately, it reached where it needed to go by a man that wasn't named so that God got the glory. And now you see the church is blessed because, and the people were blessed because of who provided for them? God provided for them. So this gift also, though it would be given on behalf of the Corinthian church, would also be a testimony to not only a willing mind, which they had in verse 12, but their ready mind. That's why I chose point number three as willing and ready. Their willingness and readiness to serve, though it blessed others, lightened the workload and supported the ministry. And then look at the end of verse 19, would you please? All to the glory of the Lord Himself. It brings us back full circle that what we do ultimately is between us and the Lord. Giving brings glory to the Lord because it's a testimony to our hearts and minds being willing and ready to contribute. This is what it's all about. It's not about who knows. It's not about how much. It's about what is my heart showcasing? What am I all about? This is the issue that Paul is dealing with here. That's why he says it's good for you not to just have a desire, but to follow through. And then practically, very wisely, when finances are involved, Paul set a great model for all churches that there should be a team of men that deal with the handling of the tithes and offerings. Men that are trustworthy, have tremendous reputations. And he says in verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in the lavish gift which is administered by us. Providing, it says, verse 21, honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. The Bible speaks of avoiding all appearances of evil. Billy Graham said that you avoid the three G's. Some of you may already know this. The gold, the girls, and the glory. 
Those three things. You stay away from those things. And that's a very, very good model. And he got that from Paul. That's a very, very good model. That's why in our own church, there are men that have been set up, that have tremendous reputations, that handle those financial things so that there is everything, so that everything is done decently and in order. Now, in Paul's closing remarks, he leaves some instructions regarding the receiving of the gift, and this is where we'll end up today in verses 22 through 24, completing this chapter. He says, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things. Good, that's a good thing. But now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, remember Titus is following up with the Corinthians, understand this, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or, if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. They knew who they were because Paul let them know. Therefore, he says in our final verse today, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. And so, that concludes our study through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today, and that will wrap up our last study here before Christmas Eve, well, next, where next week we will have special Christmas service and Christmas message. And so a lot for us to think about today, a lot for us to chew on, to be convicted about, to be encouraged in, and to even grow in a greater understanding of what God's Word has to say about a heart that is willing and ready to give. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. i just like to say thank you for letting the power come back on so this microphone worked, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in so many, so many ways. Thank you, Lord, that everything that we give, we have gotten. Everything we have, we have received from you. And so, Lord, we say thank you. And we ask, Lord, that you would cultivate in our hearts, Lord, just that joy and generosity as the Macedonian churches had, Lord. We ask, Father, that it wouldn't just be in financial things, but, Lord, in the giving of our time, the use of our giftings, Lord, whatever they may be. And, Lord, that we would be willing and able, willing and ready, that we would follow through, Lord, with what we know is right, what we know you are calling us to do. And, Lord, we ask that you would bless your church, Lord, I pray that as after today we only have two more services in 2017. We ask, Lord, that we had finished this year well. And Lord, if you should so tarry that we would start the new year, then we ask, Lord, in advance that you would bless the new year. Bless your people. Bless those, Lord, that might be uh, struggling this time of year. Lord, we pray that you would provide for them. Lord, we pray, God, that we would be able to rejoice and say thank you Lord for the great things that you have done for us and Lord I pray that we as a church body would be attentive Lord to the leading of your Holy Spirit that we would be able to see beyond our little world and Lord that we would be able to recognize those needs Lord that we'd be able to recognize Lord how we can make a difference and Lord that we'd be encouraged this uh, Christmas season Lord to really really hone in on what the true reason for us celebrating is all about. And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for giving us the gift that keeps on giving. Lord, that gift that we find forgiveness of sins because of, Lord, we ask that you would bless our church, bless our families, 
Lord, bless the people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen.